here. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. We are in a brand new sermon series. If you've never been to church before, uh, we want to talk uh, through the Bible. And oftentimes, if you've been to maybe a different church, maybe you haven't understood what's going on in the Bible. And I make it my goal and my hope that whatever I talk about, that if you've never been to church before, maybe you could take something away at all three of our campuses. So for the next 30 minutes, uh, I'm going to talk through uh, the Bible a little bit. And our sermon series is hashtag BYOF. And that just simply stands for bring your own friend. Uh, if you don't have any friends, we all have family. You didn't get to choose your family. Maybe you've tried to get rid of your family. Maybe they tried to get rid of you. But at the end of the day, family is family. And so we, we can call it bring your own family if you have no friends. But what I want to talk to you about at all three of our campuses is, is a word called evangelism. Evangelism is, is simply uh, you sharing your faith with people that don't yet have your faith or, or you discussing why you believe uh, what you believe. I want to start with two passages in the book of Matthew chapter 9. I love to read the words of Christ because uh, he's God and he's important. And this is what he says in the book of Matthew chapter 9, uh, verse number 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. I want you to see that. If you learn anything about, about God and then for the next 30 minutes, if you, if you take anything away from here, take this away, that, that God loves you. That when he sees you and, and you're maybe far from him or maybe disconnected from him, that he cares about that. That like a father with, with a child that's suffering or a mother with a, with a child that's crying, that that's how God feels about you. If, if you're in this place and you know Christ, you need to get the visual picture. That's how God feels about outsiders. He's not angry with people. He's not distant with people. He's not wanting you to stand up on some political platform and say, here's what I'm for and here's definitely what God's against. God is, is for people, that, that he loves desperately people. We're going to learn that uh, today. And then it says this, it says, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. In other words, look at the mass of people that need to hear about the, the news that God loves them, but, but most people won't take part in this. In other words, most churches think the significance of that church is how many people sit there in the service or what their seating capacity is. So we have 370 seats in here and Limerick has 150 and Plymouth Meeting has 100. So if you add that up, that's 670 seats. So the significance of our church is not in how many people that we have sit here, but the significance in our church is how many people we send. How many people understand that this is important, that coming to church is important, that lifting up the name of Jesus is important, that watching him draw your friends and your family to him is important. But then you leave this place, and I think it's a very fitting visual image, is tomorrow, uh, today football starts, but really tomorrow football starts, if you know what I'm saying. Like, uh, today doesn't really matter. Nothing matters except for the fact that the Cowboys will lose today. And so anyway, if they play, if they don't, I don't care. I don't care what they do. So anyway, but when they leave the locker room, they essentially, uh, all the practice is done and they've had their meetings, they, hit, they usually hit a sign that says stuff like, protect this house, or, 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 or be great today, you know, or cowboys suck, something like that, you just tap it, right, like something like that, you just hit the, I just threw that out, that's what the sign says in my locker room, and you just hit that on the way out, that's essentially what happens in church, you come together, we worship, we lift up the name of Jesus, and then we leave this place and we're being sent into this world to reach it. That the church was not put on this earth for church people, but the church was put on this earth for, for the world. 
Paul, he wanted, he wanted to make sure this was really significant in, in the church. He was a writer in the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians 15, this is what he said. He says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you. I want you to remember this gospel that we're going to talk about today. Which you received and which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And then it says in verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15, here's where we're going to land for the next few moments. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you in first, uh, as first importance. In other words, this is the most important thing. I know churches have all sorts of other things that are important, but evangelism is simply the church passing the message of Christ to other people. In other words, it's one beggar, that's me and you if we know Christ, finding food and telling another beggar where to find it. That's evangelism. It's one person who's been saved by Christ, not because they're impressive, but because he's impressive, and then going to somebody else and saying, look, this is my story, but it's really not my story. It's Jesus' story. That's Heather's story, but that's not really Heather's story. That's Jesus' story, and that's actually the story that's been designed for every person on this planet. You were lost, and now you're found. That you were low, but he raised you up. That you were broken, she says, but he, he put you back together. It's the most important thing we do. You know what's scary about that, though, is it's really not. It's really not. Stats tell us that 95% of Christians will never, ever even win somebody to the Lord. In other words, you will never tell somebody about Jesus and lead them to him. That in most churches, less than 2% of people actually participate in the, the ministry of evangelizing the world. Yet, Paul says, that's the most important thing. This would be like Chick-fil-A saying to, to, to Pruitt, the, the, the maker of it, the starter of it, you know, I think he's dead now. If you're not, you're probably almost dead. But I think he's dead now, uh, I think. And him talking to us again and then being like, in five years, we don't sell chick chicken anymore. We, we, we started really being bad at chicken. So, but here's the thing. We sell the best lemonade in the world. I mean, he would, he'd be like, you're called Chick-fil-A. You're, you're Christian chicken. You're chick filet. You're not supposed to sell lemonade. Oh, no, but it's okay. We're like the most popular, popular. We're more popular than Minute Maid. We're more popular than McDonald's. We're more popular than all. We are the most popular lemonade. And he's going, that's not the, like the lemonade is good and the brownies are good. Oh, they're so good. And the sundaes are good and the waffle fries are glorious. But listen, Chick-fil-A, the most important thing at Chick-fil-A is Chicken. All the ministries churches do, all the, out, the things they do for the church people, the kids' ministry, the mops, the men's ministry, the small group ministries, every ministry you can think of that keeps you inside the church, those things are all good. But the most important thing and the thing that overshadows all those other things is reaching people far from Christ. You go to church because you're called on mission to reach this world. And I think there's a many reasons we don't do that. I think a lot of churches end up isolating their people from the world. And so what happens is because we all like each other, which never happens in a church, by the way, but because we all like each other here and everybody is in a kumbaya circle, we end up not being friends with anybody else outside this church. It's a sad day when all of your relationships deal with people that are already going to heaven because what you're saying to God is, God, kill me. Because the Bible says to live is Christ and to die is, is gain. In other words, for a Christian, you know that, that here is not the most important thing, but it's actually it's actually residing in eternity, that you were made for, for then, that you're not made for now, that you were made to accomplish something specific and purposeful right now. But as soon as you stop accomplishing that purpose, it's better for you to go. Uh, and other, other reasons, I think, is we believe that evangelism is for the really, really extraordinary Christians. We forget that the 120 people that started the church back in the book of Acts were completely unextraordinary. They were completely, like, there couldn't be a more average, mediocre group of people. 
and they change the world. God uses nobodies to change people's lives. We look for immediate results. I don't know if you've ever done this. When you're telling somebody about Jesus, you walk up, you, you know, would you come church with me? No. Okay. <laughs> like, or it's like, hey, for some people, you know you're going to hell? The person's like eating Chick-fil-A, right? You know you're going to hell, you slip a track right there, leave a track in the toilet paper, round back up so when somebody's doing their business that falls out, leave a track in the door thing, and it doesn't work, and you're like, see? It's not the most important thing. The most important thing is my home group. And we give up way too quick not knowing that sometimes you're planting a seed and somebody else comes and waters it and somebody else comes and picks it and brings them to church. But for us, it's not that quick. Sometimes you talk to a neighbor about you being a pastor and they might not talk to you for six months. That might happen sometimes. All of a sudden, they stay in all the time, right? And knowing that my job then is to be kind, to look for ways to bless them. And when they fall, because they will, because that's what the Bible says will happen to us outside of Christ, me included, is I'll be the person they know to come to because I'm going to point them towards the answer. I think maybe the the, the biggest excuse we have is we just overcomplicate. We don't really know. If I say share your faith... I believe you should be able to share your faith in 60 seconds or less. If I say, tell me the gospel, I think for many of us, we overcomplicate, we, we try to theologicalize it, we try to scientificize it, whatever you want to do, we try to have a hypothesis as to why this is right and why they're wrong and all this stuff, instead of just sharing the gospel. Who were you before you met Jesus? When did you meet Jesus? And how has your life changed after you met Jesus? And some of you say, my life hasn't changed, well then you haven't met Jesus. The story of the gospel is Jesus finds you at your lowest, he rescues you, he saves you, and he changes you. And we overcomplicate the message, and here's the problem. When you overcomplicate the message, you get ignorant of the power of it, and when you get ignorant of the power of it, your urgency, it falls. I'll give you an example. This week, I was trying to get ready in my house. I don't know if you have kids, but it's really hard to get, get ready when you have like, little kids running all over the place in your house. And so oftentimes, in the most loving way possible, I'll say, get out! Go do something else. I need to do my hair. I need to brush my teeth. I need to iron. I know you've already eaten. I know you've been up for five hours already. I know you've already watched 16 episodes of SpongeBob. And I know you want, you know what, you want to know what I'm going to do to entertain you for the next eight hours. But before you do anything, I have to brush my teeth. So get out. So a couple days ago, I, I was having this conversation with, with, my, with my, 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 my sons. And I said, you guys got to go. You got to go out. You don't got to go home, but you got to get out of here. You got to go to your room. You got you to hang out in your room. Take your little brother, your little two-year-old brother. Go to your room. Close the door. I need about 15 minutes to get ready. Then we'll do something, right? So they all went out. And in my house, I don't know if you have little kids. It sounds like war all the time. So for instance, I, I live in, a, uh, I live in, in, in a, a row home. And so my row home often will be like, uh, it'll sound like people are like, Bounding on the floor when they run through, so it'll be like, like back and forth. In my room. I'm like, and I'll be like, what are you doing? Nothing. Right? And my neighbors, this is my salvation method for them because they're thinking, you know, you need to move because we can't concentrate because none of us have kids yet and you're annoying, so you need to move. I'm praying you need to move. And what I tell them is, as soon as you start coming to church and get saved, I'll move. <laughs> and so then they're going to keep going. Kids, do it some more. So, but, but, so, so, I, so that's how my house always sounds. Or it sounds just like, de- like death screams, like, like the pits of hell in my house, just screaming and fighting, and you go in the room like, what's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> so a lot of times when, when it happens, because of the sound of it, I don't respond. I'll be like, they'll figure it out. You know, one of them's going to punch the other one. It'll be fine. I have three 
you know, if something happens to one of them, I still have, I have two. And so it's just like, just, <laughs> just fine. So they're in the room playing, and I hear all this screaming and all this going. And so what happens is, is they had a box of baseball cards. They gave them baseball cards from the 1980s, which they think is really old, by the way, which is always hard when you're, they'll be like, is that, are they from the 80s? I'm like, yeah, that's only a couple years ago, though. And, the, and so I gave them baseball cards. So they're playing with these baseball cards. And so Harrison, he comes in, and he begins to play with their baseball cards. And so because they're, they're eight and six, they're like, Harrison needs to stop playing with our baseball cards. He's two. So they send Harrison into his room by himself and close the door. And he's two. Now, I've asked them to watch, the, watch them 15 minutes in the room, locked in the room, safe and sound. Don't let them crawl on your bed. Don't let them jump off top bunk. Watch him. 15 minutes, then we'll play. And my kids' heads, this is justifiable because he's messing with their baseball cards from the 80s. So they put them in, and all of a sudden I start hearing screaming, but in my head I'm going, they're all together, they're all figured out, whatever. So I'm ironing on my shirt, and all of a sudden I start to hear, Daddy! And it, I'm hearing Harrison scream, I'm hearing my son scream, and I run, and I'm like, what? And he's like, Harrison's stuck under his dresser. I'm like, why is he under his dresser? Because he's supposed to be in your room, so he should be under your dresser, not his dresser. And my son Carter goes, he kept messing with the baseball cards, so I put him in his room, and I told him to play. So I walk into his room, he has crawled under, it didn't fall on him, don't worry, he has crawled under his, his dresser, and he got all the way out through the other side, but his head is so fat, right, that his head was keeping him from getting out, so he's just pulling out like this, going, ah. So I lift it up, and I get him out, and I'm like, buddy, are you okay? And here's the problem, my ignorance made me not urgent, but as soon as I knew what was going on, I ran and I got him. See, for many people in the church, it's our complete ignorance of what the Bible says about people and ourselves and the good news, but the bad news also and all stuff. And so what ends up happening is we're like, I'm not really, not really going to be urgent about this. I'm not really going to take this seriously. Like when, when Paul says, this is the only important thing. This is the, the one important thing you're going to do. I get it. There's going to be all sorts of other things. Bible studies, you know, how much scripture you're going to memorize, how many groups you were in, how many close friendships you had, all that stuff. I get all that. But the only important thing, the most important thing, is the gospel. Is you telling other people where to get food. And what ends up happening is when you begin to understand, and that's my hope for this next five weeks, is when you begin to understand, all of a sudden you begin to see it doesn't take anybody special, it just takes somebody willing. It's not that complicated, that's what we're going to see today. It's actually really simple, even my children can understand it. But the harvest is, is plentiful. The question is, will you be a worker? Will you be a worker? Paul goes on to say in that passage before we talk about the gospel, he says, here's the gospel. It's really simple. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he died for our, our sins. That puts us all together. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. It goes on to say this. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of his brothers and sisters. At the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. That's why I believe the gospel to be true. Because I don't know if you ever played Whisper Down the Lane. And you told somebody a story and then... That story, like two seconds later, even if you're grown adults, has completely changed. And you see how much of liars we are and fabricators and sinners. And here you have a group of people that, by the way, before, if you read the, the gospel account, when Jesus died, they all hid. They were scared for their life. Jesus starts walking through walls after he rises from the dead. He's having fun with them. He shows them his hands and his feet. He raises from the dead. He goes back to heaven. A few days later, he tells them in Matthew 28, go everywhere and tell everyone about the gospel. And here you have these people that saw Jesus continuing this story for 2,000 years that has never changed. 
The story has always been, for Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scripture. He appeared to Cephas and the apostles. And then Paul says, and then he appeared to me. And then he says this in verse number 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even desire to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Paul was a murderer. He was a murderer. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. The gospel, Jesus dies for my sins, put in a tomb, on the third day he rises from the dead. And it's through that death, burial, and resurrection that I receive the grace of God, and that grace of God is not without effect, he says. See, I want to start off today answering the why that this message is so important. Why is this message so important? And I want to uncomplicate it for you if I can by answering three questions that I believe, no matter what you believe, are true about everybody here today. Three things that are true about everybody. You might have a different team you like. You might have a different upbringing. You might have different parents. You might have a different color hair. You might have different tastes. But there is things that the Bible tells us that are true of us all. Number one is this, is everyone in this room and everyone on this planet has sinned. The Bible says in the book of of Psalms 14, it says, they all turned aside, together they have become corrupt. There was no one who does good, not even one. Not even one. In Romans, it gets even more detailed. As it is written, there was no one righteous, not even one. There was no one who understands. There was no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have all together become worthless. There's not one person that's good. I know that the Pope will tell people, here's the number one, and I know they're shutting down Philly, and I know it's a big deal to some people, not to me. And I know he would tell you the greatest problem in the world, according to what he says, is global warming. Or the greatest problem in the world is this. I know, I know there's political leaders that will tell you the greatest problem in the world facing us is, is war or is ISIS or, or Donald Trump. I don't know what he says, but he'll say something. The greatest problem is this. The Bible says the greatest problem in this world is sin. Every problem that we have is attached back to our sin. Everyone, every person you come into contact with, no matter what problem that they have, no matter what situation they're going through, no matter what issues they're dealing with, no matter what addiction that, 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 they, that they have, no, no matter what breakdown they have in communication with their spouse, no matter what's going on, the main issue in their life is sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's what happens so many times in our world, because sin sounds so uh, harsh. So what we want to do is we want to make it less harsh, and we want to make it less poisonous, and we want to make it less of a big deal. And so what we'll do is instead of just saying, all of us sin, we'll say, all of us struggle. And what we do is we relabel it, right? And this would be like me having a thing of poison and taking a piece of tape and over the poison put Sprite and feeding it to my kids. When everybody gets mad at me saying, what, I changed the label? The truth is it doesn't take the amount of poisonous material inside of the bottle away from from what's going on. Like, it's still poison. And so many times in church, instead of just standing up and saying, your problem is sin. Your problem is greed. Maybe you're addicted because something happened to you. A sin was committed against you. And now you're living in response to that sin, which makes you a sinner as well. And you're carrying that pain with you. And you started shooting up or you started taking pills. Or maybe you're in a marriage and you can't figure out why the other person won't be exactly like you. It's sin. Maybe you're never happy and you go from one thing to the next, always looking but never finding. The problem is your sin. 
And so many times, instead of just saying, we are all, listen, listen to me, all of us, not, not good out there and bad in here, not, not, not I'm better because I've been in church for 25 years and Heather's better than you because she's been here for seven and we're better and we're cleaned up and all this stuff's going and we're talking about the really bad people, which is the mistake the church has made for a long time, instead of just saying, all of us are bad. That's what the Bible says, there's not one good person, not even one, that we all are sinners and sometimes I don't think we want to deal with that. One time, one time I was playing soccer when I was 18 years old in high school. I played at a huge private school called Salem Christian School. We had 16 people in my graduating class. Two of them got kicked out a week before for smoking pot, so I graduated with 14 people. <laughs> I graduated number 11 out of 14 people in my class. I, I, I was pretty proud of that. And it was my last year of, of soccer, my last couple games of soccer. And I went up to head this ball in this Christian school match. And it was a really important Christian school match. It was for the championship of three schools. And so I went up to head this ball. And when I went up to head this ball, this other guy came in and hit my nose like this and pushed my nose off the side. Now, the camera adds five pounds to my nose. I don't know if you can see that or not. It's actually not this big. When you get closer, it just looks bigger on this 20-foot screens over here. And so, but my nose, if you ever get close to it, it's pretty, it's pretty jacked up. I don't know why Leah married me. Love is blind. And so, but he pushed it off to the side, right? And I, and I could feel it. Like, I don't know if you've ever broken something, but I could feel it, like, off to the side of my face. And I was like, this is not right. And I went over to my coach, and my coach had an option. He could have looked at me and been like, man, you're fine. Go back in the game. But I knew something wasn't right. And he looked at me, and being a good coach that he was, he was like, dang. <laughs> and I was like, is it bad? And he was, and, and listen, he was like, yeah, it's really bad. Let me push it back over to the side and go back in the game because I grew up in the 80s and we were real men then. So he pushed back over to the side. He was real with me. You see, why, why do we struggle with this? I don't want to talk about sin. There's a popular video out. It said stuff like this this week. I'm a Christian, but. And basically what it was is it was a protection of, of them elevating their moral standard against God's standard. Basically saying, we're more moral than God is. When God says the other way around, no, 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 you're broken and you're corrupt and you're messed up and sin is really a problem for all of us. And some of us stand back and we go, no, it's not. I'm not that big of a sinner. And God's going, really? Why do you have all this hidden stuff in your life? Why do you do stuff in the dark and in secret? Because you know deep down inside that everyone deals with the sin problem. And here's the problem with sin problem for all of us. Number two, is not only is sin a problem for everybody, but the outcome of our sin is a really big deal. The Bible was clear, not only do we all sin, but sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. The Bible says this in Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, I'd rather you leave this place hating me than having your blood on my hands. There's a prophet in the, book of, in the book of Ezekiel. His name was Ezekiel, very fitting. And Ezekiel was a watchman, and that just means that he was somebody who would warn his people when danger was coming. And there's a passage in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, where God looks at Ezekiel and says, you're a watchman. You know what's coming for people, and you have a choice. You can either step back and go, I don't want to say anything to anybody because I don't want to offend anybody. But then God looks at him and he says, and the blood of those people is on your hands. Or... You can decide that instead of being loved for a lie, that I'll be hated for the truth. 
and I'm going to warn every person that I know, friend or family, and if you don't talk to your family about your faith and your friends about your faith, then I can tell you something right now, you hate them. No matter how happy that they seem to be and how content that they seem to be, you know they're not. See, the problem with sin for so many people is they don't understand not only is sin an eternal problem, but sin is a right now problem. Sin affects people's lives right now. Sin places you into the ultimate Groundhog Day. I don't know if you remember that movie with Bill Murray, but he wakes up every day and does the same thing. If sin wasn't such a problem and sin doesn't separate us from God and sin is not messing us up, then why do you constantly look for, for things but never find? Why do you do a new, if you ever look at people's Facebook, it's like a constant cycle of new hobbies. This year I'm going to sell this and next year I'm going to do CrossFit. And the year after that, I'm going to have a relationship that I love. And the year after that, I'm going to be talking about the person that I now hate. And I'm going to try this career path, and I'm going to try this hobby, and I'm going to do this. And don't you recognize that sin has put you in a virtual cycle of never being content? Maybe you're happy, but you're not content. Maybe you, you feel excited for a moment, but you don't wake up with any promise. And then ultimately, sin separates people forever. You see, I'm not going to be one of those pastors that, that won't talk about hell. I refuse. If you walk away from this place at all three of our campuses and you say, he talked about hell, I hate him for talking about hell, I'm never going to talk to him again, I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't want your blood on my hands. The worst part of sin is later on when you take your last breath, and we all do that, no matter what you believe about life, you know you're heading towards death. For many of you, it can come just like this. And the Bible says that all of us end up somewhere, one of two places, that either we end up with Jesus, which I'm going to talk about in a second, but for those of us who have sin in our life, that the wages of our sin is death, and death takes us to, to hell. And when you die someday without knowing Christ in your sin, the payment for your sin, without a doubt from the Bible, is hell. And some of us in this room will say, I can't talk about that because it seems too hard. What's harder to deal with? Talking to your friend when they're still alive or standing over their casket when you know they haven't put their faith in Christ. And you read the Bible and you know where they're at. There's nothing more devastating to me than standing up to do a funeral and, and trying to guess and see maybe if on their deathbed they came to faith in Jesus Christ. There's nothing more harder. See, number three, the thing about the gospel that I think that, that affects everybody is, is sin is bad, super bad. Sin destroys and hurts. But the third thing about the gospel that I think is so significant that we need to understand that it's only through Jesus that our sin is paid and we are reconciled with God. See, I think for many of us, we'll come to the understanding that we're, we're, we have sin. See, some of you won't. Some of you will just walk out of here and be like, I'm much better than he thinks he is. Okay. If you want to lie to yourself, your nose is over here. It's huge. Go ahead and do that. But you're ugly right now. I'm just telling you. I'll tell you because I don't know you, but you are. Or you go, okay, I'm a sinner. I know. And what you do with your life is you go, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to clean myself up. That's religion. Pope's coming. I'm going to get ready. I'm going to put my best dress on for the Pope to come and get my Hail Marys and my beads and all stuff. I'm going to go see the Pope. Maybe he'll bless me. I'm going to do my Hail Mary. I'm going to go to confession. I'm going to do everything. I'm going to clean myself up. Religion is the ultimate lie because it leaves you being worse than you ever were before. Religion puts it in your hands. Religion says the answer to sin is to clean myself up. Jesus is different. Jesus says, you can't clean yourself up, so I'm going to do it for you. 
I'm going to come and I'm going to take your dirt and your shame and your sin and I'm going to take it on myself. I'm going to die the death. You should have died. I'm going to, my life's going to end the way your sh- life should have ended. I'm going to be in a tomb. My story's going to be over. Everybody's going to walk away from me. They're going to put a stone and they're going to seal it and they're going to guard it and they're going to try to end it and the stone's going to come off and three days later and I'm going to walk out of the tomb victorious. They're going to have tried to stop me, but it's just going to be the beginning. That's the story of the gospel. Everything's bad in your life. Everything thrown against you. Everything made for harm. And then you begin to understand the gospel. What Satan meant for harm, God's going to use for good. What Satan meant to be my end, God is going to start to rewrite the story and everything's going to be different. That's what the Bible says. Listen to what it says in the, in the book of, of 2 Corinthians 5. It says, God made him who had no sin to be your sin so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. I'm going to end with this story. I got one minute and 33 seconds. A couple minutes, a couple weeks ago, I was at the King of Prussia Mall. We were eating in the food court. I'm going to set this up really fast, so you got to listen really quickly. We're in the food court. Eating at the food court is a little slice of hell with your kids because everybody wants to go somewhere different. They can't go by themselves, and so we basically tag team that, me and Leah, and we go pizza, we go Chick-fil-A, we go here. We're running people over the place. You bring them back to their food. You sit and wait. She goes to Chipotle because that's what good husbands do, and that's where godly wives eat Chipotle. She comes back. I go get a cheesesteak because that's what real men do, right? Because we're from Philadelphia. We eat cheesesteaks. So I go get a cheesesteak at Tony Luke's, and I come back, and as soon as I sit down, my kids have already been eating. I've been eating for like 30 minutes. I smell poop. I looked at Leah. She didn't do it. I, I, I knew I didn't do it, and I looked at my two sons. I'm like, did you, did you fart? No. I look over at Harrison. His face is bright red. He's... And I'm like... You serious right now? This is so rude. I'm just starting to eat. So, so we did what all parents do with a third kid. We go, you're going to sit in your crap for a couple minutes. Because I'm going to eat this cheesesteak. I don't even care if it smells like this. I'm eating. Sorry, everybody around me. He's rude. And so we get done. We go pack up. We go to the family restroom. And we, we begin to change him. And, and here's the thing. When you're married and you're on your third kid, you, you start to keep a log, a poop log. So whoever's turn, you take turns. It was her turn to change him. So I was standing back. I was not messing with that at all. Me and my two sons are standing back. They're kind of playing with the false stuff like that. And all of a sudden, I hear this sound that every parent has made when they change a diaper. Ah! That means something's wrong. So I look over at her. She has, she has poop on her hand. And she looks at me and she says, we have an emergency. I was, what's the emergency? Because it's your emergency because it's your turn to do it. She said, he has pooped all the way up his back evidence right here picture this was my son at the food court with the poop all the way back nothing was savable all right take it off now take it off nothing was savable not a sock not a shoe nothing so we're in this bathroom and here's the thing the janitor is waiting to come in the family bathroom to clean it because she was waiting when we ran past her so I'm like what do we do she's like she's like go get an outfit and I'm like go buy a new outfit she's like yes Go get an alpha. So I run by. The janitor is waiting. I stop the janitor. I'm like, you don't ever want to go in there. You probably want to quit your job and find something else to do. Uh, because I just want you to know there's a bad situation there. So I go running out, and I'm like freaking out. I got to find something. And I'm like, I got I to gotta get him closed. So I end up at Foot Locker, Kids Foot Locker. Closest store there. I mean, I was looking to spend 10 bucks, right, to get an outfit. Foot Locker has nothing except a Jordan outfit that's on sale for $30. A Jordan outfit that's on sale for $30. <laughs> So I got this Jordan outfit and I ran back to him and I, and I put it on. Here's the picture, the picture, picture of him now. He's happy as can be. Now here's the thing. 
he crapped all over himself. You can take that off. There was no saving it. And you know what I didn't do? I didn't go, clean yourself up. Put your butt up under that automatic sink a little bit farther. Take your clothes off, clean them off, put them under the sink. I ran as fast as I could, and I didn't tell you the other part of the story. Because it was such franticness in that room, I got some on my finger, and I'm running the whole time, and I'm going. And I'm looking, and I go to check out, and she wants my ID, right? So I, I show her my, my ID, and there's, there's stuff over my fingers, and I'm like, I'm like, don't even ask. Just take the thing. I run back, and we clothe him in a Jordan outfit, which, by the way, in the 80s and the 90s, that was the stuff right there. I know you don't appreciate it now. You want the KDs and the LeBrons. The Jordan was the stuff. I went. He made the mess. He crapped through his clothes. His outfit was not a Jordan outfit because we don't buy our two-year-old Jordan outfits, right, unless he gets a job and saves his own money. And I went, and I bought it. I carried his poop on my finger. I carried his poop all the way back. I clothed him in righteousness, and there he stood. That's the gospel. You make a mess, and God doesn't say, clean it up. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, hey, hey, get better. Hey, 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 fix yourself. He says, you made the mess. I'll run to the cross. I'll die on the cross for your sins. I'll come back, and I'll clothe you in righteousness. With my, with my gospel is a Jordan outfit. That's how good Jesus is. Would you stand with me all over this house at our other campuses? Would you bow your heads or would you close your eyes? And we don't have much time as we get ready to go into our next service, but this is the most important part of our church service. See, the gospel, when it answers the why, is you're a sinner, sin leads you to hell. Jesus is the answer. When you get all that, it demands a response. It's not, it's not advice. It's not something you add to your life. The gospel is life. It demands a response. You either look at Jesus and you say, Jesus, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, or you hear the news and you go, I'm going to keep looking. And I can tell you as a 35-year-old male that I've watched both, both scenarios. I've watched people walk away from here and keep looking, and I can tell you that they never find. You won't. You won't. You're not going to find security. You're not going to find peace. You're not going to find purpose. The best day of your life is the day you realize you weren't put on this earth by accident. I don't care what your parents said. I don't care what the teacher said. I don't care what's been done to you. You're not here by accident at all three of our campus. You were put here at this time, in this moment in history, so Jesus could get to your heart. And when he gets to your heart, he'll change your life forever. And listen, I don't talk about what we're supposed to do to get to God. I want to talk about what he did to get to us. He did everything in this moment to get to you right now. He wants to reach you. He wants to change you. But it demands a response. The book of Romans says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you'll no longer walk in shame, that you'll walk as a child of God, that you'll be secure in his love, that you'll understand the purpose is found in him alone. Listen, you are a sinner. Your nose is crooked. You are full of shame. You are full of bitterness. Yes, I know what's been done to you was hard and wrong and caused all sorts of problems in your life. You're never going to get over it until you meet the forgiver, and his name is Jesus. And you can meet him right now in this moment. The Bible says he is so close. Where two or more are gathered in his name, he's there. You've made the mess. You can't clean yourself up. Jesus can. Jesus can. He became your sin. So that he could clothe you in righteousness. And listen, when you die and this, this planet, this life on this planet is over, your next breath is going to be standing before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And for some of you in this place that are about to make this decision to put him, your trust and faith in him, to repent and turn away from your sin, to give it to him, you're going to stand before him. And your name, the Bible says, is going to be written in the Lamb's book of life. And you're going to enter into eternity, a place that's been prepared for you by God. But the reason you're walking in is not because you're a good person, because you're not. 
because you're a person who put your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you're in this place, if you're at our Limerick and Plymouth meeting campus with nobody looking around in this moment, this demands your response. And you say, I have never put my faith, hope, in Jesus Christ. I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't clean myself up. I've tried. I'm going to start looking. I believe the answer is Jesus Christ. Would you simply just shoot your hand up in the air all over this place and say, I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I see a hand over here. Is there anybody else who say, Pastor, that's me. I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. I'm going to give him my life at our Plymouth meeting in Limerick campus. Just shoot your hand up uh, in the air as we respond to this call, this why call. For those of you in this place that, that maybe know Christ and know him as your Lord and your Savior, would you just pray for those that are raising their hand, that are responding to this message? Is there anybody else with me on, in the middle on my right that would say, you know what, I need to respond to this message right now. I'm not going to walk out of this place and keep looking. I'm not going to keep looking. I believe that he's found me, that he's found me. I'm going to put my faith and my hope and my trust in Jesus Christ. Is there anybody else as we get ready to close uh, in prayer? I'm going to respond to the gospel right now. I'm not going to miss this moment. I'm not going to miss this moment at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick. Would you pray with me, church? Would you pray with me, Jesus? We love you, and we are so thankful for this day. I'm so thankful for every person who's here at Plymouth Meeting in Limerick and watching online. I thank you for the gospel. We're going to undercomplicate this thing. We're going to unwrap it, and we're going to understand it. The problem with every person in this room and the problem with every person in this world is a sin problem. It's a sin problem that we are sinners and the Bible says that of us. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death and hell and we are aware of that. Well, that's what makes the good news so good. The wages of our sin is death and hell, but I love that word. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That you didn't expect us to clean ourselves up. That you didn't ask us to get better before we came to you. But Lord, you came to us at our lowest, at all three of our campuses. And you're meeting us here right now. You're meeting us in our addictions. You're meeting us in our sorrows. You're meeting us in our hatred and in our gossip and in our bitterness. You're meeting us in our shame and in our hidden hearts, Lord. And you're not judging us based on who we are, but you're loving us based on whose we are. That you made us, you created us, you put us on this earth. And Lord, right now you are changing us forever. We are never, ever going to be the same. That one moment in your presence, it changes everything. And we believe you died on the cross for our sins. And we confess that that is where our sins are forgiven and where life is found when you rose from the dead. And Jesus, we put our faith, hope, and trust in you. We turn from our sin and our wicked ways, and we turn to you, Lord. And Lord, as we turn to you, we begin to trust and love you, and that's where we change. In Jesus' name that we pray. And Journey Church said amen, amen. Would you clap with me all over this house?